0: Thank you.
1: Good morning. We got a bunch of people out back. If you could please come in. We're going to start here momentarily. So, welcome everyone to another beautiful Lord's Day. Um, major storms last night, but uh 100 or a, uh yeah, 180 degree turn here in the weather. So, it really looks good. Hope everybody had a safe night welcome those who are joining us via the live stream and uh, a special welcome to those joining us for the first time and uh, we pray that uh, your time today will be blessed by our worship and challenged by the word a number of announcements we have uh, important day today we have uh, a members meeting so we need uh, enough members here to meet the quorum requirements so that we can get our business done um, before that, we do have a potluck lunch um, at 12 o'clock, and the meeting starts at 1:15. So please be prompt for those events. On Tuesday, there is a ladies' Bible study at Lori's house. 6:30 um, is a prayer meeting on Wednesday, and uh, let's see. There's a teens' activity. Maybe there's a teens' activity um, next week. It depends on how high the river level got. Um, In the last 24 hours, what? We're going to have it either way, but uh, you might go canoeing, you might not go canoeing. depends on how high the river is. It's only about ankle deep as of yesterday, Um, but with the rain, it might have increased quite a bit. Um, What else do we have here? Um, Some special announcements. Um, uh, We're taking new photos for the church directory. So if you're interested in getting new pictures, and we want everybody to do that, uh, see Melanie DeFriend or Amy Mason for that. And if you want them to take off 20 pounds or make you look better, they have the ability to do that with Photoshop nowadays. So put your requests in immediately. Uh no charge. Free of charge. Um, so please line up at the doors. We want to get those taken care of as quickly as possible. If you have any questions, see Amy or Melanie. Um, um, there is uh, A through J, so plan to be to have pictures taken um, for the th- for this week and for the 31st. Last names L through P, and August 7th, R through W. So make sure you don't jump in line and. You don't have the right last letters. Um, Baptismal service is August 7th. It it has been canceled. I'm sorry. I had to read this correctly. Um, Flock group has been changed to be at the same usual time at 5.30. So remember that. It'll be at the Twigs in Hingham. And the Lemanskys are going completely off the grid. There is no phone number for them anymore. So if you want to get a hold of them, good luck. No, they have cell phones, so... They can uh, you can get a hold of them that way, and uh, just a reminder that there is an evening service next Sunday, July thirty first at six p.m. So that's it. Thank you.
2: All right, just uh, one little correction there. There is going to be a baptismal service, but it'll be in this fall. All right, so we're we're moving it from August seventh to a little bit later, and yes. We are going off grid. I can see, it's funny, each week in the summer I see who's on vacation, and so this week we have the front people and all the the people in the back, but we're missing some of the middle people. But uh, Maria and I are ditching the kids, and we are going up to Door County. Uh, The Lord uh, is gracious, and we have a place that we can stay for up to one week absolutely free, and it's a... Very nice place, almost all the way up in Gills Rock, and uh, we are grateful for that. And you know, it's this is one of those years where, just due to circumstances, I mean, this may be the only week of vacation that Maria and I get. And I used to run uh, way back uh, a 400 meter relay and one of the legs in the 800 meter relay, doing a 100 meter sprint never a problem for me. I mean, I was really winded when I got done, but doing a 200, that's a different thing. You know, you get about 170 meters into the 200, and the thighs just kind of give out, and the the lungs are absolutely on fire, and that's how I feel this week. It's like, okay, uh, this week was Um, normal for the amount of meetings that I had with people but the administrative duties this week were at least double if not triple normal and on top of that we're going to be covering five chapters today don't worry it's not going to be two hours long but five chapters today Leviticus 11 through 15 which are some of the most difficult chapters in all of scripture to interpret so my work has been cut out and I'm I'm gassed, I'm ready uh, for vacation. So do pray for us, especially, Maria's okay, but pray for me that I can, I can just get my mind off of everything and, uh, and get up to the, whatever, the chair and the bed and all the beautiful walks and, and just um, rest. So our person of the week this week are the Popes, Jim and Kathy Pope. So we'll be praying for them, three things. First, for just ongoing and new opportunities for Jim especially to witness to unbelievers. If you know Jim, he's got, I don't think he's, they're, they're away, aren't they, today? I think they are. Um, he has people that he's on, uh, witnessing to regularly. So pray for that, that they'll come to Christ. Then pray for strength for Jim's father. He lost his mother, Jim did. Uh, a a while back, a couple years ago. So pray for his father, who lives down in the state of Mississippi. And then also pray for their girls, two girls, and their families. Our overseas servants of the week this week are the Cummins, Isaac and Hannah. So because they're our missionaries of the week, let me just, and I I think a lot of you know, but Maria, I, and Beth are going to be going overseas in August, to visit two missionary families. One was the Tannises. If you remember, Luke Tannis came and presented his ministry in Malta, their ministry in Malta, to us. Our church didn't end up supporting them, but uh, we've remained in close contact, and I know uh, the other two missionary families they work with. So we're going to go to Malta in August for three days, and I'll be. Uh, teaching uh, a special thing with the youth, and then preaching for them on Sunday morning. And then right after that, we're going to get back on a plane and fly over to Ankara, Turkey, where we will be with the missionaries of the week, Isaac and Hannah. Now, Isaac and Hannah, I've known for, I'm not sure if it's two decades now, but for quite a long time. They were both students of mine uh, back up at Northland, and Hannah, the people who have been in our church for a while know, did her extension ministry uh, here in our church. So the Commons have a long history with us as well, personally, and then as well with our church. So uh, when we're there, uh, I will be uh, doing teaching as well as preaching. And Isaac told me on uh, the messenger phone, whatever that's called, <laughs> he said, Kurt, I am so grateful that you are coming for this particular Sunday because uh, the missionary who he works with named Brian, who by the way was born and raised in Sheboygan, um, Brian and his wife are going to be out of the country that week. And he said, I'm already preaching one sermon this month. If I had to do the sermon the following week too, I just don't know how I'd prepare. And you say, wait, preparing only one sermon a month? Yeah, but remember, he's got a write the whole thing out in Turkish, and he's still learning that language. So to write a sermon in Turkish is very, very time-consuming. So anyway, we'll be uh, spending time with uh, both of these families first in Malta for three days, and then in Turkey for about, uh, I think the total is six days with uh, the Cummins. And finally, our persecuted saint of the week is... Hanif he's a new believer and he's from the country of Bangladesh and he has been persecuted in fact attacked by his family for becoming a Christian. He says call me Hanif that's not his actual name his name's been changed to protect his identity. I live in the city in a city in Bangladesh with my wife and children where I'm the sole provider for my family. I met Jesus from a convert from Islam on June 27th of this year. And I was baptized. When you become baptized in Islam, you know, from Islam to Christianity, that's the final step. I mean, that's the break, the big break. You can you can say you're a believer in Christ, but if you haven't been baptized, you haven't made the, the total break. And, and so he did. And he says... It was amazing. I continued to read my Bible in secret and downloaded Christian worship songs on my phone. I thought I was safe, but my daughter borrowed my phone and found the music. In that moment, everything changed. Suddenly, it was out. Hanif is a Christian. Everyone was angry and tried to force me to return to Islam. My wife threatened to divorce me, and I received many death threats. But my Lord helped me remain steadfast. I will not renounce my faith in Jesus Christ, I told them. This is my choice. On July 3rd, after a family dinner, many family members grabbed wooden sticks and began beating me. They took turns punching, kicking, and hitting me. It was terrifying. I am finally home from the hospital trying to heal. It's very hard because everyone is against me. It's hard to stay with people who only want to hurt you. But I have no choice. Please pray for me. So let's pray for uh, healing for Hanif. Uh, physically, I mean, when your body's kicked and punched internally, you you know damage occurs. So pray for that, especially internal damage, to be fully healed. And then let's pray for his family that they would see the light of Christ through his witness, and themselves become believers. Father, you are a wonderful God. You are loving. You are kind. You are compassionate. You provide strength for us in our weakness. You have forgiven us by sending your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be born for sinners to live in their place and to be the perfect substitute for unperfect people so that he might die. You lost your son for us. We are, words can't quite catch it but we are eternally grateful. Lord you you've done so much for us thank you and we want to never forget that and and, in lieu of that we want to bring before you the name of a man who has recently in fact just this summer last month uh, trusted you and uh, left Islam and become a Christian, and even been baptized. Thank you. We praise you for Hanif. We we thank you that this other member of our Christian family converted from Islam, and that he was willing to literally risk his life to share the good news with Hanif. Taking a step like this in in Bangladesh is is potentially a... A life-threatening decision, and and it certainly is in his case, Hanif's case. And so we pray for him for physical healing, for his internal wounds. We pray that you will uh, give him strength. He hasn't even asked for that, but we ask, but we do pray that he would not renounce his faith and that he will remain steadfast no matter what comes his way, even if it's martyrdom. And then we pray for his family, for his wife, for his children. In fact, those extended family members who were the ones who were beating him with sticks, wooden dowels, and and kicking him and punching him. Lord, we pray for their salvation. May may the, the memory of the injuries that they themselves personally inflicted upon this man we now call brother in Christ not leave them. May it, in fact, cause emotional pain for them. We pray that you would use that to begin or maybe continue to draw them to yourself. May Hanif's witness in his family not be in vain, in fact, not even in his whole village. And may uh, you bring others to yourself through the uh, bravery that uh, Christ has given to this man. We wanted to pray for our missionaries of the week, the Cummins, Isaac and Hannah, uh, friends for many years, uh, have known our church for a long time, and are still in Turkey, struggling to learn a language and customs and culture. In spite of being there for a while, they still have a long way to go. And so it is with that in mind that we uh, lift them up to you. Help them, Lord. We pray. I'm, I'm thankful that Maria and I and Beth have the opportunity to to go over there, and may uh, our time with them be an encouragement. They've had to shut the church down because of deep internal conflict and threats uh, from former members of the church to to take them to the authorities. Uh, they've been kind of blackmailed, and, and Lord, they've just reopened. A church under a new name it's it 's very difficult lord their their ministry is not like ours in in the things that uh, they 're experiencing, and so uh, it 's much harder, so we pray for them that that uh, our time with them will uh, be one of great encouragement and Then we pray for Jim and kathy we 're thankful uh, that they have uh, an opportunity to be away, get some vacation right now. And uh, we want to ask for Jim's ongoing uh, witness uh, to people that uh, he has known for a while, some not so long, uh, that uh, the watering that he's doing will uh, bring forth harvest, fruit. And we also pray as he is constantly looking for new opportunities to share Christ with others that uh, you will grant those to him. Open up doors of conversation with neighbors. With people at the retirement center that he goes to, and in other places as well. Then we pray uh, for his father, who's lost uh, a wife of many decades and uh, somewhat lonely. We're thankful that Jim's sisters there, near, but uh, it, it's hard for uh, this this dear brother, this man. So we pray for his father for encouragement, and then uh, we pray for Jim and Kathy's two girls. Uh, for their families, their unsaved husbands, all their children. Lord, we pray for gospel grace to permeate hearts and souls and uh, change lives. Thank you for Leviticus 11 through 15. May the cleanliness laws, the laws of cleanness, uh, go from being rather obscure and hard to understand and, and potentially even dangerous if interpreted the wrong way. To laws that make sense to us and laws that point us to Christ and teach us about the grievousness of sin and the absolute holiness that you are. We pray in the name of the one who has changed us so that we might understand these deep concepts. Good
3: morning. morning. Wanting to uh, just start our worship time, if I could. I just want to start it with a uh, a reading from uh, one of my favorite pastors, uh, Sinclair Ferguson. I just want to read something brief. The foundation of worship in the heart is not emotional. It is theological. Think of that. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The songs that we selected, that I selected for us to go through today, the focus of each of these songs is on the joy of the Lord. And I pray that you have that joy. But because you have that joy, if you do have it, it's going to remind you when you hear these songs today, it's going to remind you of God's word. And that's going to bring out so much more emotion in you. And I really pray that uh, that the worship time Is beneficial to you if at the end of this time if there's anyone here that really does not believe or even have this joy of the Lord I pray these number one that these songs can push you deeper into the word but also that uh, you would seek out the true salvation and many of us here all of us would would be able to point you to Christ to find that salvation that we're singing about today So why don't we stand, we're going to sing, you can read the words up here, 624 in our hymnals, 624, his eye is on the spirit.
4: Long for heaven and home When Jesus is my portion My constant friend is he His eye is on the sparrow And I know he watches me His eyes on I sing because I'm happy, I sing. step I may see, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Sing it out. I sing because I sing because I'm free, for his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches. Watches me. His eyes is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Is me.
3: Amen. Great singing, great singing. If you're using your hymnals, you can turn to 572. Blessed Assurance.
4: Blessed Assurance is mine Oh what a foretaste of glory divine Mere of salvation Purchase of God Born of the Spirit Washed in His blood This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior is my song, praising my Savior. My Savior, am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. story, this is my song, praising my Savior the day long.
3: Our next song today is called My Savior's Love. I want to just say a little bit about the author, Charles Gabriel. Uh, the reason I'm bringing him up is because you may not recognize that name at all, but in the early 1900s, This was one of the most famous of all hymn writers. He was very unique because not only did he write many songs, he he participated in nearly 8,000 hymns. Think of that. But he grew up in a Christian home. His father actually taught singing lessons in his home. And at age 15, Charles Gabriel announced to his family that he's going to become a songwriter his mom had been praying for this for many years, and so they had a what's called a reed, uh, a reed organ. Very difficult uh, instrument to play. You have to do the feet with the pedals and all of that. And he he learned that all on his own, no professional training. But then at age sixteen, his uh, his father died suddenly, and so there he went back into the home to to work on the family farm but his mother actually encouraged him to go do what God was calling him to do. And look at all that he did. Uh, just some of the songs that he, that he had uh, that, we, that we all sing today, Send the Light, this one here, My Savior, Savior's Love. Uh, I, I just am so thankful for this man's ministry. Uh, his eye on, is on the sparrow that we just sang at the start. He did the music for that. And so just praise God for godly homes that emphasize music and how it can influence millions. And so let's sing My Savior's Love.
4: I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Grease but sweat drops of blood for mine. that night. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful, is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very, Suffered and died alone How marvelous How wonderful And my song Shall ever be How marvelous How wonderful Is my Savior's love For me And with the ransomed In glory To sing of his love for me, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be, how marvelous, how
0: wonderful,
4: is my Savior's love for me.
3: Amen. Let's pray. I just want to thank you, Lord, for how you have showered us with blessing. You've given us what is undeserved. You died on that cross, Lord, for our, for our sins. And Lord, we can sing today how wonderful, how marvelous your love for us. You considered us so much greater. And you provided that sacrifice. I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, that they would cry out right now and confess their sins and receive this marvelous, wonderful grace that you offer. I pray for a blessing on our time of giving right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
5: Today's scripture reading can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Please stand. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we always are confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord.
3: And let's sing, Therefore the Redeemed of the Lord.
4: Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return And come with singing desire And everlasting joy shall be upon Come with singing, undesired and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Singing on desire and everlasting joy shall be upon their head.
3: Amen. Great singing, you may be seated.
2: Please turn to Leviticus. Chapter 11. You've probably seen a meme on Facebook or maybe a YouTube video that shows a guy about to do something really stupid who says, hold my beer and watch this. Drunkenness leads to foolish decisions. And last week in Leviticus 10, we saw that drunkenness is probably why Nadab and Abihu made such an, could we even almost call it an insane decision, to offer an unauthorized gift or offering to God in and even attempt to bring it into the personal private space of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. I mean, as they pulled back the curtain, the fire from the Lord's presence came out and struck them and killed them, burned them to death. What had they done that deserved death? Well, in chapter 10, if we just look back in verse 9 we see that right after they're burned god comes to Aaron and says drink no wine or strong drink is that why they died because they you know had come in drunk i i don't think so no in fact i think the underlying reason why god executed them is in the next verse chapter 10 verse 10 so look at that i think it's on your handout you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. Those words in that verse are chapters 11 through 15 in a nutshell. Chapters 11 through 15 are describing to all the Israelites the differences or the four categories of holy, common, and then related categories, clean and unclean. You see that in verse 10 of chapter 10. Why did Nadab and Abihu die? They died because they violated God's holiness. Protecting God's holiness is the reason why we're going to be studying what seemed to us like, in some cases maybe not so strange, in other cases some really uh, seemingly odd or strange rules. All of these laws were here to protect the holiness of God. These laws teach us, one, us today in the church... Teach us one very important truth, which is what? Taking this from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Without holiness, it is impossible to see the Lord. We will not enter God's presence without holiness. These holiness laws reveal the way that God thinks about sin. And impurity. So let's look at chapter 11. We'll read starting in verse 1, part of this chapter to begin. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. So, food laws. Whatever... Parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it's unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud and does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses, lest, you know, uh, because they are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that has not fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that has not fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle the bearded vulture, and the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet, among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet, with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. I know you're really happy about that. All right, anyway. Um, but all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. Now, these five chapters go on with rules like this. And it's it seems heavy and it seems... Old-fashioned and arcane. So how do we as a church in the New Testament, where where these laws no longer apply, how do we gain benefit from God's word from these chapters that will help us today? That's, That's the goal that we've set. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, may the... Chapters of Leviticus that describe the holiness laws go from being somewhat strange to us to making sense. In fact, even beyond that, might they teach us spiritual truth that that will be a benefit. Your word says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And that includes obviously Leviticus 11 through 15. So, Lord, teach us something about yourself. In fact, something really important about yourself from these chapters. We pray in Jesus' name, who has paid the price and completed all of this law so that we do not have to follow these strictures any longer. Amen. All right. Without holiness... It is impossible to see the Lord. Leviticus chapters 11 through 15 are the holiness laws and they reveal to us, even today as Christians in the church, they reveal to us the way that God thinks about sin and impurity. But... How can believers who are no longer under the Old Covenant laws benefit from them? We can do so in the following ways. And the first of these is by grasping what makes these laws valuable even for believers now. Why are chapters... 11 through 15 here. Okay, They're sandwiched between the inauguration of worship at the tabernacle for the very first time, chapters 8 through 10, and chapter 16, the Day of Atonement, arguably the most important chapter in all of Leviticus. So why these chapters between these two sections. The reason that these chapters are here is to govern all of the things that the Israelites do outside the compound of the tabernacle so that they don't bring in with them contamination when they enter the courtyard to make their offerings. Does that make sense? Chapters 11 through 15 are all about staying clean on the outside of the tabernacle courtyard area so that you, when you come in, you're not traipsing in or bringing in contamination that will violate the holiness of God. So that's important to grasp. Get that first, okay? Step by step, we'll we'll unfold why these laws are important. That is the very first step. I mean, Leviticus chapter 16, the Day of Atonement, is designed to do two things primarily. Okay, you offer the two goats. We've talked about this, it's been years now since we've done it, but we'll go over it again in more detail uh, in the weeks ahead. But I mean, Leviticus chapter 16 is there to do two things. What are they primarily? One is to make offerings that guarantee that all the sins that were done accidentally, that were done maybe intentionally, but weren't covered, from all the Israelites for the entire past 365 days were paid for. That's one of the two main purposes of Leviticus 16. The other purpose of Leviticus 16 is to cleanse the tabernacle, the holy of holies, the holy place, and the entire courtyard to cleanse it from all the contamination that was accidentally brought in in the past year. So that's, that's why these chapters exist. To reduce, in fact, to attempt to eliminate uncleanness being brought into God's presence. Do you know what a clean room is? Okay, a clean room... Uh, is a place in a scientific research facility that uh, is uh, that works on items on a nano scale in other words really tiny tiny little objects and there are actually nine levels of clean room so each of you takes about one cubic meter of space, I want you to guess, not out loud, this is rhetorical, but guess how many particles are floating around you right now in the one meter of space, cubically speaking, that you inhabit. So we're talking about dust, things you can see, all the way down to things you can't see. What do you think? 10 pieces of dusted particles floating around beside you? Well, if the person sitting next to you has bad breath, maybe double that, 20? No, all right. You know, is, is it 10? No, it's more than that. How about 100? You want to go for 100? You want to try for less than a 1,000? Okay. Just around you, 1,000? No, it's more. How about 100,000? No, there cannot be 100,000 particles in the one meter of space that I'm inhabiting. There are more than 100,000. How about a million? All right, you ready? There are 35 million particles from things you can see like dust to nanoparticles that are around you right now, right now. So a clean room exists so that scientists can work on things or engineers uh, develop things that are down to the nanoscale. Now, level nine clean room is not very clean. It's not much different from just being inside here. There are there can still be up to those. 35 million particles, even in a level 9 clean room. But as you go from level 9 to 8 to 7, the, the rules or the ways that they filtrate the system, the air inside, as well as what the person or people wear when they go inside, gets more and more and more strict. There are actually, in the world, there are very few level... One clean rooms, not many a level one clean room reduces the amount of particles in one square meter from thirty five million down to twelve. How they do that is it, it's i didn't want to go into all those details with you but i mean it's it's unbelievable the ex the the, the how far they will go, the extremes to which they have to go to bring it down to that, I think NASA has a level one clean room for like you know uh, um, certain satellites and and telescopes and all that kind of thing. not many super 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 clean. the contaminants of the outside are not allowed into the extreme clean on the inside. I want you to think of these Levitical laws in chapters 11 through 15, a lot like entering a clean room. People on the outside coming in, protecting themselves from contaminants so that they might enter the presence of God in a state that is down to 12 particles, if you want to continue the illustration, or fewer. In other words, he, he cannot uh, tolerate any kind of sin in his presence. Not even one particle. We're talking not 12 particles, zero. So think of these Levitical laws as physical ways to teach this one primary spiritual principle. Namely, without holiness... It is impossible to see the Lord. Now, we're in the New Testament. This is not... We don't have to follow these laws. In fact, I would actually uh, say that, you know, we break these laws all the time. Okay? Why do we not have to follow them? Because Christ has fulfilled them. But there might be someone here who's saying, well, why even study them? Can they even benefit us? Well... Yes, they can benefit. All scripture is beneficial. But even beyond that, I was shocked at how many times the New Testament writers and Jesus himself use Leviticus. And especially in this case, some quote from these five chapters to encourage New Testament church age believers in this dispensation to live holy lives. Let me give you one of those quotes. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Peter quotes from the very chapter we just read from, verse 44 of chapter 11, and he says this, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And I quoted as our primary proposition the theme of the whole message. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. Without holiness it is impossible to see the Lord. And when you look at the context that surrounds that verse. It's the writer of Hebrews making very specific statements about sin and living apart from that and living for God. So clearly, Leviticus 11 through 15 has value for us. The extreme level of holiness that God demands in these chapters has not changed. Now, the way that we approach God has changed because of Christ, but the respect God has for purity has not changed. When we approach him in prayer, we come reverently, confessing any known sin to him. Before I move on, I want to urge a word of caution. What I don't want to have happen is this. I don't want to preach a message on holiness, and especially from these chapters, God's requirement of extreme holiness, and make you think that somehow I can live up to All of God's expectations. Or that you have to live up to all God's expectations in order to enter his presence. If that were the case, we're all gone, right? We'd all be burned by fire. We are wretched without Christ. So I don't don't want this message to cause you to despair and say, woe is me. No. Instead, I want you to see the holiness of God and what he expects of us and be encouraged to, to study the word and walk closer with Christ. Not to lay a guilt trip on yourself. Beat yourself up a little longer so that you feel good enough to enter his presence. No, 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 no. No, as soon as we sin, what should we do? Immediately run to Christ and ask for forgiveness. Not beat ourselves up. Why? Because that's, that's like trying to earn your salvation. No, we come into God's presence as believers through the sacrifice of Christ. We have immediate access at any time. Do not beat yourself up for sin. At the same time, don't give in to it or luxuriate in sin and say, wow, it it doesn't matter. Look at the holiness of God. For without holiness, it is impossible to see the Lord. Again, these chapters reveal the way God thinks about sin and impurity. But how can we who don't live under the old covenant any longer benefit by studying them? The second way is by comprehending how God relates to the categories of cleanness. It's the how. How does he relate? ...to these categories. We read chapter 10, verse 10. There are four categories. One is holy and one is common. And then one is clean and then one is unclean. Every single commentary, I think, that I looked at... ...had a chart or a way to describe these four categories. Truthfully, most of those charts left one a little bit confused, but there was one, it might be the original chart, I'm not sure, in a, a commentary written by a man named Milgram that I've put, I think it'll be up here on the screen and then you have on your handout, that was the easiest to follow. I'm not saying it's totally easy to understand, but it's fairly easy to understand, and easier than any of the other charts that attempted to communicate these ideas. So. This is Leviticus 11 through 15 in a nutshell. Holy, common, clean, unclean. Understand that God is holy and that sin is unclean. Okay? That, that makes sense. But you know what? It's not just sin that causes uncleanness. There are some other things that aren't sinful that cause Ritual uncleanness. Before we talk about that, look at these four categories. Something that is clean. Do you see the clean in the bottom box? Something that is clean can be either holy or common. Something that is unclean can be either common and touchable like a camel. You can't touch the corpse of a camel or you become unclean. But you can, you can ride a camel and remain clean under the Old Testament law. But you could touch the corpse of an animal that was clean. Every time you sacrificed an animal in the courtyard, you were touching the corpse of an animal. It's not, it's, it does not bring defilement to touch the corpse of, an, of a clean animal, but it does to touch one of an unclean. So uncleanness um, can be either common and touchable, like a live camel, or impure and untouchable, like a dead camel, and also shouldn't eat camel meat as well. So here are those four categories, Leviticus 10.10. Number one, holy and clean. Look at the, the two boxes. Holy and clean, category one you're like, "Oh my goodness, this is deep. It is deep." Okay? Stay with me here. All right. Holy and clean. What what are some examples of some of some things that would be holy and clean? Well, the garments of the priests who go into the tabernacle or into the courtyard. They are to remain forever clean. They're dedicated to the Lord. They're not to take those garments with Unless there's like specific commandment uh, to go outside with the scapegoat or whatever. Those garments aren't meant to be worn when they're hiking out and about. Those garments are for a specific purpose. They are holy, special set apart. They are also clean. Same thing would be true for the utensils that are used in the tabernacle. The gold and silver utensils. They are all clean. They are also holy. That's category one. Category two. Not everything that is clean is holy. In fact, the majority of things in Israel's lifestyle and, you know, everyday world, they are clean, but they're not holy. They're clean, but they're, they're common. So that's category two, common and clean. The clothing, not of the priests, but the clothing that the regular people wear. Not the utensils in the tabernacle, but the utensils they use at home, in their own kitchens. These are clean, but they're not holy. They're common. Then there's category number three. There's common and unclean. So examples might be a house that has mold in it there's mold in your house in Israel, a priest has to come and look at it. And if the the mold appears to be more than surface deep and can't just be wiped off, then um, they have to uh, dig that part of the wall out. And once they do, like after seven days, I think it is, the priest comes back and he looks again. And if the mold has come back on the parts that weren't dug out. The house has to be demolished. You'd say, wow, that'd be a lot of financial loss. Well, you can go out into the, the, you know, the wayside and pick up the rocks and build it. It would take some time, but it's not nearly the same kind of loss it would be financially for them. More, of, more a loss of time than it is money. Um, but for us, it would be very serious. That, this is how seriously God takes things that are unclean. So, a house with mold, or a dead human body, or the dead body of an unclean animal, these things would cause something which is common to become unclean. And then the fourth category, which shouldn't exist, is holy and unclean. Nothing unclean should get into the presence of God, but it did Accidentally, and that's why Leviticus 16 is there to wash away once a year any of the contaminants brought into the level one clean facility, spiritually speaking. All right, let's compare these categories not to a clean room now, but to a biological research facility. Maybe you've seen a movie. Or read something about the CDC, and you know about the four levels of biosafety containment. So there's level um, level one, two, three, and four. Level one in a biological research facility is not that serious. You're supposed to wear you know certain protective gear, but you know when you come out, you basically just wash your hands. I think, like wash off your feet or disinfect your shoe soles and you're, you're free. What's inside of a level one uh, room is not deadly to human beings. Then there's level two. <clears throat> In a bio, biological research facility, if you enter level two, you will have done so after advanced training. You are going to wear protective gear. but None of the things in a level 2 containment room are actually deadly. They can cause sickness, so it's possible you know, that it could kill somebody, but they're not at least immediately lethal. And then there's level 3. Level 3 contains organisms that are lethal to human beings. To get into a level 3 containment facility, and by the way, very few scientists would ever... Uh, be able to do that. But, it, but if they did, they're wearing some pretty serious gear because the things inside of level three are downright dangerous. When they come out, their gear must be destroyed or like heavy-duty disinfected, dis, uh, decontaminated. And then there's the highest level. Highest level, level four. Very few scientists are cleared to enter that level. When they do so, they are in entire isolation suits. When they do so, they will have a hose that they basically drag around with them that's connected to their helmet. Because they absolutely cannot breathe the air that's outside. Even though what they're working on is probably inside of some kind of like an incubation you know, double safe kind of thing, and they put their hands through these rubber, I mean, even even with that, they're still completely protected just in case there'd be a leak from anything, anything inside there because that's where things like Ebola are studied. And there is one form of Ebola that has a, a knot rate of 85. What does that mean? That means that, If you contract that form of Ebola, 85 out of 100 people are going to die from it. That's the most severe, as far as I know, of any form or any kind of pathogen. Okay, So level four, that stuff is serious, and no human being wants to to be in contact with it. The pathogens contained in a level four room are like category four uncleanness. What? Well, anything that is unclean is unfit to enter the presence of God. Sin is like the deadly pathogen. How many passages describe The sin unto death, or dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, and so on. Sin causes death, Romans 3, Romans 6, on and on and on, passage after passage. Sin is not supposed to enter the presence of God. No Israelite, 11 through 15, Leviticus, is to allow contaminants to remain around them, and then knowingly bring those into the courtyard when they're offering a sacrifice. Then the priests... Again, it's metaphorical. It's symbolic, but it is a powerful picture. God is in, could we call it, liken it, to a level one clean room. And and sin committed by a human being is... it's like bringing the deadly pathogens of a level four containment facility into the level one clean room of God. It ought not to be done. And Leviticus 11 through 15 keeps that, or at least is supposed to keep that from happening. So what's the takeaway for us? Just as God expected his people to be Physically clean in the Old Testament, he expects us to be spiritually clean now. In fact, Jesus himself uses these laws of physical cleanness to illustrate spiritual cleanness in Matthew 23, ripping on, and I do mean ripping on the Pharisees in the list of the seven woes that Jesus preaches against them. He says, Chapter 23 of Matthew, verses 24 and 5. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. That's right out of Leviticus, these chapters. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, the food laws and the insect restrictions are what G- Jesus is referring to here from Leviticus, and he, he's using those to paint a spiritual picture. The Pharisees are trying to take care of the outside by following down to the you know tithing of the mint and 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 uh, cumin. The little, t- the spices, the tiny spices, they're, they're going to go that far to tithe even the tiniest of things. And yet the inside of them, spiritually speaking, is disgusting, corrupt. It's like, in the same chapter, it's like a whitewashed sepulcher. Why, why did they paint um, burial caves with white paint in the Jewish world? To, as a warning to the passerby, the Jewish passerby because if if the jewish person were to put his hand on that cave that should be whitewashed he becomes unclean ceremonially and believe me it's a long process and costs you know costs resources in order to become pure again under the old testament law and jesus calls these pharisees whitewashed sepulchers, you're, you're, you're clean, you look pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You're, you're, you're totally disgusting and unclean in your soul. So I want us to think, think through Leviticus 11 through 15 in light of the ways that the authors and Jesus himself use these verses In the New Testament. Now, a warning here is needed. And that's a warning regarding the word unclean. Some of your translations might have impure. English, the entire English language, I don't know how many words there are in the English language, but it's in the hundreds of thousands. There is no word. Absolutely not one word in the English language that can translate this Hebrew word. And all commentators try to like, okay, how should we translate it? What should we do? Why? All right, because every single one of the English words that we use to translate this Hebrew word, like unclean or impure, all carry a moral connotation. Every time that we use the word unclean, we are thinking that sin is automatically involved. Even if it's minor, slight, it's still still there's some kind of a taint of impurity that is not this Hebrew word. That the Hebrew word can mean that, but it can also refer to something that is ritually there's no way to describe it totally in English. Ritually impure but not sinful in other words it's against the rules but it it's not filth. it's not see i can't there's no word to do it it's it's not filthy because of sin it's just simply not allowed by god hebrew does both english doesn't have a word you say okay well why does that matter well let me give you one example real quick uh from these chapters um We need to interpret this word uncleanness carefully because, for example, in Leviticus chapter 12, when a woman gave birth to a child, she became immediately unclean. And that uncleanness lasted 33 days, 40 total for a boy, and uh, 66 for a girl. Whoa. So theologically then... Is Leviticus 12 saying that bearing a child is sinful? Well, if you interpret unclean that way, this Hebrew word that way, you could come up with some really bad theology in a hurry. And it's not just that one example. It's all through these five chapters. She didn't sin. There's no sin involved with childbirth. Uh, there are plenty of scriptures. When we get there, if we get, get there, I'll, I'll share some of those. God is very positive toward childbirth. There is no way that he is saying that bearing a child is somehow a sinful activity. Why it's then ritually, again, for lack of a better word, unclean, we'll, uh, I'll explain in a little bit. So, it's important to understand the word unclean, and it's important to comprehend how God relates to the categories of cleanness and how that he cannot or at least is not supposed to come into contact with anything that's sinful. That's why when, when Nadab and Abihu entered the Holy of Holies, I don't think God was killing them because they came in drunk. He hadn't even told them not to do that, if indeed that's the right way to understand the passage. I don't think that's why at all. No, why did he do it? Because they brought something unauthorized, something that was at best common into God's presence. And that cannot happen. And so they were burned alive. Without holiness, it's impossible to see the Lord. But again, how can we who are no no longer live under the old covenant benefit from these laws. The last way is by understanding that the holiness laws reveal the extreme level that God goes to maintain purity. So we read chapter 11, and we saw that there are laws that govern food in that chapter. I think we'll, we'll stop with chapter 11. So I'll talk about it a little bit, but uh, we won't today cover 12, 13, 14, or 15. But let's just look at chapter 11. In this chapter, we have a whole bunch of laws governing food. Now, God classifies the animal kingdom in a way that isn't totally different from how scientists would do today, but is is unique to him. How does he classify the animal kingdom? From the verses that we read. There are three classifications. One, there are land animals or land creatures, including insects. Two, there are marine animals, whether they're freshwater or saltwater. And then three, there are sky animals. And some animals that we would think of as being land animals, God categorizes as animals of the sky, like insects that have... Uh, The ability to hop, like the grasshopper. That's actually, in God's classification system, an animal or a creature of the sky, not of the ground. Because it lifts off and goes through the air. So land animals. Chapter 11, verses 2 through 8. Land animals that have divided hooves and chew the cud, they may be eaten. Think cattle, sheep, goats. Land animals that do not may not be touched if they're dead and certainly may not be eaten. So you can't eat horse meat under Leviticus 11. I don't know that any of you are going you know, to run to do that, but there are certainly cultures in our world that do. Can't eat camels and pigs and rabbits. Pigs would be a pretty serious thing to us if we weren't allowed to eat it. There are marine animals. If a marine animal has fins and scales, it can be eaten. That's most fish. But if it's without both fins and scales, then it cannot be eaten. So no catfish. Eels aren't. I love eel sauce on on sushi. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you hate sushi, you know, you, you think, oh, man, you're weird. All right. I've traveled to Asia a lot. I love. The eel sauce is the best. It's that dark brown sauce. Can't have the eel sauce if I were living under this. But but the worst of all would be shrimp. Don't take the shrimp away. You know, right? Because I mean, you can't eat shrimp under these laws. So I'm glad I'm not under those laws. All right. And then there are flying animals, verses 13 through 23. Flying animals. Now, this is an interpretation, and I, I can't guarantee that this is right. So take this with a little grain of salt. Study it on your own. You can think about it. Um, Flying animals, I think what it's saying, that don't eat flesh, but eat only like seeds or berries, vegetarian, you know, birds. I think vegetarian birds may be eaten, if that's the right way to understand it, but flying animals that are carnivorous, that is, that eat carrion, that eat the dead bodies of um, other animals, they may not be eaten. And some of the thing, birds in the list that may not be eaten are eagles and ravens and the like. And then, of course, flying insects with jointed legs for hopping, those may be eaten. So at least my son Tony's all excited about that. That, that guy he'll eat the weirdest stuff. All right, sorry Tony, I picked on you. Uh, I won't even tell you some of the things he's ordered uh, just to try. Oh my word! I'm like, okay. All right, so why? That's what you all want to know. Why? Why all these laws? All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be you know kind here, but I'm probably gonna pop some bubbles of thinking about why these animals. And in the end, I'm basically going to say, I don't know if we really have a good logical way for us to say why all these animals are unclean and why all these are clean. I don't know that there really is any particular way to to argue categorically for why God puts some unclean animals here Some animals as unclean here, and some animals as clean over here. Um, But here are the four main views. One is hygienic reasons. And this probably the one, it's not the most common in commentaries, but it's probably the one I've heard the most just in conversations over the years with Christians. Well, God didn't have us eat, here's how it usually goes God didn't have us eat, didn't allow the Hebrews to eat pigs because. Uh, if the ham isn't cooked enough, it leads to trichinosis. Well, all right, that's true, but you know the same is true of beef. If you don't cook beef uh, enough, then there's salmonella, and you can be poisoned from the beef. So, you know, commentators I'm reading, at least you know the more recent ones, are saying it just doesn't really make sense. Hyg- the hygienic argument doesn't really address. The true issue. And what's worse, in in the New Testament, in Acts chapters 10 and 11, Peter's told you can eat all these things, and the cooking way of preparing food hadn't changed. You can eat all these things. So if there was something inherently wrong with eating, let's say, shrimp or or, uh, ham, then why would God change that? It doesn't seem to follow. So, you might be convinced of that view that's fine i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lambast it i'm just saying you know from my perspective from what I've, the reading i've done i'm not convinced by it view number 2 ritual reasons or we could call it guilt by association if the pagan religions around us or actually not if because this argument goes because the pagan Religions around us have a God that they worship that is an animal, then we've got to put it in the unclean category. Okay? Or if they sacrifice that kind of animal, it has to be in the unclean. So in other words, God made these animals unclean because these animals are associated with pagan rituals. Again, that just doesn't really work. It doesn't make sense. If an animal represented a pagan god, and therefore it can't be used, then then even the clean animals in Leviticus 11 wouldn't work. For example, the apis bull, which is a clean animal, is one of the... I mean, it's actually one of the main deities in Egyptian... Religion, out of which the Hebrews had just recently come, it, 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 and plus cattle, sheep, and goats these are these are animals that were regularly offered by all different kinds of pagan religions all around them, so the guilt by association, the ritual reasons that doesn 't seem to work either. View number three, symbolic reasons this is probably the least held. And I'll just go through it really quickly. There are a couple of older commentators, Puritan commentators, who held this view. Um, I I like Puritans. It's not a slam on Puritans. Please. But uh, there were a couple who held this view, and I I think it's easily dismissed. What they were saying is that uh, God put the unclean animals in that category for symbolic reasons. They They argued, like Bonner, if you have his commentary on Leviticus, some probably do, Um, The behavior of an animal, how the animal behaves, represents either good or evil. Again, it's a major stretch, but uh, the argument is, you know, a cow chews the cud, and chewing cud, you know, the animal eats, it's gross, but the animal eats it, eats the, the grass, then swallows it, goes down to one of its stomachs, begins to digest, and then it brings it back up. That's literally what happens. Um, and it, it chews the cud. It ruminates over that to get more of the, uh, to break it down more, and then it puts it in a different stomach to draw out more of the nutrients. And it repeatedly swallows and brings that up and swallows and brings it up. Sorry if that's gross, but that's, that's what it's, it's happening. Okay. And so is that not what we're told to do with the scripture? As we meditate, we meditate like an animal, a cud-chewing animal. We digest it, and then we bring it back up to our minds to think on it some more and digest it again. So this is the argument. Okay, it it falls flat. All right, finally, view number four. This might be the best argument, but I'm still not convinced, though it's probably better than the others, and that's just simply conformity to a standard. Animals that conform to a clean idea, were, were good, and animals that didn't fit into that category were ritually impure and could cause uncleanness. So the conformity to a standard then, the argument would be that these food laws are here to teach Israel the need to discern. It states that animals which have certain characteristics appear to express the norm, Animals that conform to the norm are clean and represent that which is right. Animals that do not conform to the norm are unclean and represent that which is wrong. Since animals with, as the argument goes, split hooves and chew the cud are normal sources of meat, sheep, goats, cattle in Israel, since those are the normal sources of meat, God, according to this view, created the things that the animals that they interacted with the most god god makes that the clean category and then the others don't fit that category and should not be eaten and all of this to teach israel discernment maybe maybe but again i'm not i'm not totally convinced so in conclusion all right what well, Why do we study these laws? I like what Jay Sklar in his commentary says. We study these because these, these laws help people to make distinctions in many areas of their everyday life. Meals, sickness, bodily processes, all of life became an opportunity for them, the the Israelites, to remember that they had been set apart as distinct to the Lord, as holy people, and were to reflect his holy character to a watching world. They had reminders every single time they made a meal that they were to live differently from the people around them that they represented the lord to those people and were to be a light to them constant reminders every day to avoid impurities and sin and to live for god some would even argue that we're at a disadvantage today because we do not have as many reminders let me ask you a few questions How do you live? Do you try to live more holy when you drive into the parking lot here or come into this building than you do at home? Why would you do that? Um, Do we realize that God wants us to avoid category four sins? By the way, I put all sin in category four. All sin is deadly. God wants us to avoid category four sins, and do we realize that God lives inside of a, as it were, a level one clean room? Sin can't enter His presence in heaven, and since we are sinful beings, we know that we need Christ. But don't fall into the trap of excusing sin because Jesus paid it all. The New Testament writers don't do that, don't allow that. They use these Old Testament holiness laws as instructions for holy living. Three verses. As he who who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Without holiness, it is impossible to see the Lord. And finally, walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians have essentially those same uh, words walk worthy. All right, so this was a tough message to prepare, and it was not an easy one to preach. I mean doing Leviticus 11 through 15 is is definitely not as easy as what Leviticus 16 will be. Leviticus 16 the application is just dripping off. Leviticus 11 through 15 not so. My prayer is that you stuck with me through the the depth of these chapters and that you'll benefit from them and even be more careful to learn from them and also to avoid Uh, misconceptions about things like uncleanness. God is holy. We aren't. Thank him for his son, our Lord. Today we are grateful for all of scripture. And I've done my absolute best to communicate these chapters to our dear people. I don't know that I've failed. I I did what I could. But Lord, would you take this difficult material and use it. Teach your flock, your people, your sheep from it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
3: Amen so as we close in worship just a reminder how we started remember what i read i read those words that the foundation of worship in the heart is not emotional it's theological this next song that we're going to sing is a very emotional song think about this as we close an unbeliever who doesn't even know jesus could enjoy this song they could enjoy the 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 highs and the lows and the message of the song but they may not or would not know the true reason why the song is written so let's stand together and as believers let's sing with joy these wonderful words
4: Keeps me singing as I go All my life was whacked by sin and strife Discord filled my heart with pain Jesus swept the the broken strings Stirred the slumbering cords again Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Sweet! His name I know fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go, feasting on the riches of His grace, resting beneath His sheltering wing, always looking on His smiling face, that is why I shout and sing. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, filling as I go. Though sometimes he leads through waters deep, trials fall across the way, though sometimes the path rough and steep, see his footprints all the way. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing. Shall ring with him on high. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go.
3: Amen. Great singing. You are dismissed.